Welcome to the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Each week, we bring you discussions with educators on how they use blended, self-paced, and mastery-based learning to better serve their students. We believe teachers learn best from each other, so this is our way of lifting up the voices of leaders and innovators in our community. This is the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to this week's episode. We are now at episode number 65, where we're going to talk about teacher leadership opportunities, um, Q&A with Kareem, my favorite person in the whole wide world. So my name is Tony Rose Deanna. She, her pronouns. I'm a program manager here at Modern Classroom. And so welcome back, Kareem. We've missed having your voice on here. How are you doing? What's been going on? I am wonderful. It is so good to be back. It has been um, a while. I can't even remember the last time I was on the podcast, um, but it's it's been fabulous, and I've actually missed doing this, so it's great to be on. I mean, Tony Rose, I talk to you every single week, given that you're on staff and we're constantly collaborating, um, but things have been busy. I mean, hopefully listeners are seeing that the organization's growing, the movement's expanding, educators are implementing, and I've spent a ton of time in the last few months working with leaders, working with teachers, um, visiting classrooms, just to see how implementation is going. I kind of think of my job as my primary goal is to make sure that as we grow, the quality of what we do and what we give to educators um, continues to improve as well. So I've been doing a lot of that work. Um, It's been an absolute blast. uh, And it's been amazing to see how many amazing educators are out there implementing the model. Yeah, it's been such a nice, um, just such a nice movement, right? And just having the ability to talk to different educators on the podcast, you know, talk about their experience and how they've come across the Modern Classroom and how they make it work. It's been really awesome. So, well, I'm really excited to have you here with us, Kareem. Um, and so we got some really cool things to talk about today. And so let's go ahead and start it off. Um, so whenever I talk to an implementer, right, an MCP implementer, they boast about how supportive our learning community is. So that may be the face group, maybe the Slack channels that we have. Um, But we have teachers who are implementing this model on their own, while some teachers have gotten a whole team to implement this model with them. So what are some teacher leadership opportunities we have for our implementers? Yeah, I mean, I think at its core, one of the coolest things about the Modern Classrooms Project that probably was by accident is that we provide avenues for educators to elevate their practice, to amplify the amazing things that they're doing, and then to have avenues for teacher leadership that are not your normal sort of grade level team lead, assistant principal, principal, district leader type of pathways. Um, so when I think about teacher leadership opportunities, I kind of think of them differently. I think of someone coming on the podcast as a teacher leadership opportunity because it's a way to elevate your voice and share it with others. I think about a person who is helping us facilitate our Facebook group as a total teacher leadership opportunity. I think of educators who present at conferences and collaborate with Modern Classrooms Project staff uh, to share about the organization and the work that they're doing as teacher leadership opportunities. So I think there's a lot of wraparound ways that teachers end up being leaders within our community. Another great example is just writing articles. We have tons of educators who write articles and get published. And then we have our structured teacher leadership opportunities. I define the structured teacher leadership opportunities as really the manner in which we credential educators and empower them to eventually become mentors. 
So that's our d- distinguished modern classroom educator credential is the first one. And that's essentially, if you're implementing the model beautifully, you become a distinguished modern classroom educator. And then from there, you're eligible to become a mentor. And, you know, you, Tony Rose, were obviously both of these before you joined our full-time staff. And I don't think you're ever not a distinguished modern classroom educator and mentor as far as I'm concerned. Um, and those are our two ways that educators become a part of our formal leadership community, which means they've submitted evidence to us that they're implementing the model beautifully. And they've also proven to us if they get to the mentor status that they're able to train other teachers. So um, that's kind of the different ways that I think of teacher leadership. And I think what's cool about it too is all these groups have different communities. Um, They all have different ways to engage with each other and the larger modern classrooms movement, which I think is powerful. Yeah, I mean, I remember um, implementing this model for the very first time, right? And I was fortunate enough to have Kareem as my coach, as my mentor. So he was able to come in and see what I was doing and just how how supported I felt and how valued I felt as a teacher. So it was like, you know, we're trying out this new innovative model. There's lots of challenges that come with it. But then at the same time, it's like, no, I get to actually embrace it and make it work for me because it's something that Zach and I say all the time, right? There's no right or wrong way to do this model. And so I just always felt really valued and supported um, whenever I was talking to someone um, about Modern Classroom or whenever I was talking to Kareem or Kate or anyone else, right? It just felt really, really good to be valued. Um, and another thing that I, I loved as a leadership opportunity really is that I, I love getting to know teachers from outside of my school, right? It's really nice to have that perspective um, or just hearing other people's experiences of how they're implementing this and how their schools are working um, and how, you know, the collaborative part of it all works out for them and how their students are. And so I, I, I know when I was a teacher, I really took advantage of all these opportunities. And I know Kareem, you would always be like, Hey, Tony Rose, do you want to do this? And I'm like, yes, I do actually. <laughs> because it just, it was so great that I was able to transfer my skills as a teacher to other projects that Modern Classroom was leading. And I just had the opportunities to just kind of elevate my voice and also network with a lot of teachers and find out um, so many cool things that were happening around me that I wouldn't have had the chance to know without Modern Classroom. So I really appreciate that. Well, you know, it kind of reminds me of, this might be a, a weird parallel for the listeners, so bear with me, listeners. Um, but I kind of think of it as this idea of organic collaboration versus like forced collaboration, which I know I used to talk on the, I used to talk about this on the podcast all the time and certainly in talks, like when you force people to collaborate, it's not exactly an honest form of collaboration. It doesn't feel useful to the people who have it to collaborate. And it also doesn't feel useful or productive or enjoyable for the people that are forcing uh, folks to collaborate. That can be adults forcing adults to collaborate or adults forcing kids to collaborate in the classroom. I actually think it's the same thing with teacher leadership. My experience with teacher leadership so, so often as an educator felt like it was not actually something that was contributing to my personal experience and growth. It was actually more something I felt obliged to do because A, it might have been something that no one else wanted to do but needed to happen. Or B, it, it felt like some sort of weird pressure situation where a leader of mine really wanted me to take control of something or help with something. And I was like, all right, I need to do this. I need to contribute. So I think we like to think of it as really organic leadership opportunities in many ways. Like what are ways that educators can engage um, that feel useful and exciting and fun for educators and that value their time? So 
when you said Tony Rose that like I would just text you, call you, email you, and say, "Hey, do you want to do this?" I mean, it kind of I think it speaks to the way that we have thought about it still to this day at the organization, even if it's more structured. It always is going to be an opt-in experience, right? It's like, hey, is this something that's interesting to you? Is this something that feels like exciting to you, or is this feel exhausting? uninspiring or a waste of time. We never want educators to feel like that's what their experiences are with our organization from start to finish. Um, whether it's learning the model through the free course, going through a virtual mentorship program, engaging in a different style of professional development, or engaging in a leadership opportunity. So um, that's deeply embedded in the way that I think I think about teacher leadership and supporting educators and, and hope that educators feel the same way when they engage with our work. Yeah, and I really appreciate that. I know I've always wanted to write an article, but was scared to. And I remember Rob just kind of walking through, you know, how to do it with us. And like, you know, it's okay. Like, this is something new, but you have all the support and you have all the resources to make it happen. And so I think I felt really comfortable saying yes, because I knew that I wasn't going to be left alone. Um, and, you know, we talk about too, with like teaching, it could be so isolating. And I think with, with modern classroom, we do such a great job of like collaboration and really reaching out to our teachers so that they have the proper supports and resources so they can feel successful. And then the energy is just so positive. And so it's, it's just it's just really, really great. And I think the more I talk to teachers and implementers and mentors, the more I hear just how um, supportive, supportive they felt they feel and valued and, and just the, the energy is just so positive, which like I absolutely just love. I eat it all up. Um, and so I've heard one of our mentors say that like, this is a great way to reflect on their teaching practices, the distinguished modern classroom, um, application, right? The being a DMCE and that it's, it's pretty similar to the process of getting nationally board certified, which I immediately thought, oh wow, because I've always wanted to get nationally board certified, but I was, overwhelmed and kind of just like, huh, I don't know if I could do that. So how did Distinguished Modern Classroom Educators come about exactly? So I think, you know, when the organization started, we were a little fellowship in DC. Um, you were one of our fellows. So at that time, I was, I was the teacher trainer. Like there was no one else really. There was myself and my co-founder would come in in the summer. And then we would like in year two added another person on top of that or a few folks to kind of support with the training experience. But I essentially saw every teacher who we trained in their classrooms implement the model. So for a year and a half there, everyone touched by our approach, I could see their implementation. I could tell if they were doing the model um, you know, and making it their own and putting it into action. Then when the organization started to scale, particularly when thousands of teachers started to join the free course, the Edutopia video was really going viral. We built the virtual mentorship program. It was so, so exciting because so many folks were starting to implement the model. I mean, I got a, a message um, just the other day, and I'm super excited to meet with this principal. It's a principal in Zambia who's been able to empower an entire school around our model, right? So there's folks across the world who are implementing our approach at scale. So I remember actually meeting with Rob and just thinking about this core question of, look, we don't want to strain folks. We don't want to like create all these accountability metrics that would create stress for educators, but we do want to provide an avenue where we can hear about all the incredible implementers across the country and the world, certify them, 
to say, hey, you all are, are doing this like as well as we think one can do it. And that's true because everyone's constantly iterating and improving. So there's no like sort of you've you're done implementing the modern classrooms, right? We all improved throughout our journey in implementation. Every educator gets better every single step of the way. But we wanted to find a way to truly highlight and elevate incredible implementers. And I want to stress that part of that process too is that's how we grow as an organization. One of our favorite things to do is when folks apply for Distinguished Modern Classroom Educator Credentials, we're also just getting like a steady stream of outstanding work from educators. It empowers you, Tony Rose, to think like, hey, I'd love to bring that teacher on the podcast. Or it empowers Rob or the other folks on the program team to say, hey, we got to bake that into our free course because that's an amazing strategy. It empowers us to think about who should be potentially leading presentations, PDs, all that good stuff, even thinking about empowering more educators in their community. So at its core, the Distinguished Modern Classroom Educator in simple terms is a way for us to identify who's doing our model beautifully. But in a bigger way, it's how we find that community of advocates on the ground who are doing such exemplary work that it's worth highlighting, it's worth sharing, and it's worth identifying those folks and building a community around them so that they can communicate with others. And when we created the application, I remember we had this discussion in a meeting where we simply said, how do we create an application that is as easy as possible while simultaneously ensuring that we feel confident that the person's actually doing the approach? It was just that simple. Like, what evidence do we need to see from afar that is reasonable enough for us to say it's going to be pretty hard to do this and like and fake it while simultaneously trying to ensure that we're not creating this incredibly extensive process that's multi-stage and all that crazy stuff and that's what i think we've done in fact i was just meeting with two dmces i always tell folks i try to meet with an educator every single week who I've never met before. And I was meeting with two awesome DMCEs, Sarah and Jessica out in Lynn Public School. So if they're listening to the podcast, hey, we just chatted literally a few hours ago. And what was so interesting when I was speaking to them is I said, you know, what's cool about the DMCE application is if you're doing the model, it shouldn't be that challenging to complete. Will it take a few hours? Undoubtedly. I'm not going to deny that. But it shouldn't actually be that challenging to complete because all you're doing is pulling artifacts directly from your classroom, and then explaining how you use them in narrative form. And that's actually the coolest part about the application is you actually have to tell a little bit of a story about your implementation. And our sense was if folks show us the artifacts and tell us how they use them, by the end of reading that application, you've basically read a two to three to four page narrative about how an educator implements our model effectively. So that's the design of the application. you know. And ultimately, and I'll say this quite frequently, It's also a way for us to ensure that, okay, that person potentially is ready to become a mentor. They're ready to apply to be a mentor and go through our mentor academy. We don't want folks to be mentors, obviously, who don't feel ready to then share their awesome expertise with others. So it's kind of a a critical indicator for us to say this person is implementing well enough to then become a potential mentor. 
Yeah, this brings up something in mind too. Um, when I was back, you know, teaching, I would always tell my students, Hey, if you can teach another peer how to do it, then you've mastered this skill, right? So when we're thinking about mentors, right? Like we want them to be able to teach someone or, you know, kind of support someone through this implementation of the model. So, um, this is really great. It's great information. I, learn something new because I don't think that I even myself knew how the Distinguished Modern Classroom Educator came about. Um, and I think another thing that popped up to me too, um, Kareem, was that it's super intentional, right? Like you said, it's not multi-step, just have, you know, doing all these accountability steps, but it's, it's really just intentional. You're really reflecting on what you're doing as an implementer in your classroom. So you're not doing anything extra. You're just enhancing what you already have and then describing it, which I think, you know, for the most part, um, I know I was talking to a mentor one time or a mentor mentioned, you know, in education, we're always talking about reflection, but then we actually don't put like time aside to actually do the reflecting. Um, and I think with this application process, it really does um, kind of force teachers to reflect on what they're doing in the classroom, which is really, really impactful and powerful, right? Like, of oh, okay, like I have to tell my story and this makes sense because of this, or I did it this way because of that. And I think, you know, stories are powerful in itself and and it makes it that much more exciting when we start talking about what we're doing in the classroom so thank you for sharing that um so we often hear some hesitations from our implementers about applying for DMC for Distinguished Modern Classroom Educator. So as educators, you know, this is something you and I talk about all the time, Kareem. It's like we tend to be really critical of our abilities and some think that they haven't implemented the model long enough to qualify. So I know I was definitely one of them of like, oh my gosh, how could I like do this when I've just done it for this amount of time, right? So what would you say to our more hesitant implementers when it comes to applying to become a Distinguished Modern Classroom Educator. I'm so glad you're bringing this up. This is something I'm actually really, really passionate about. Um, and it's it's been a, a challenge or a problem that I've been trying to sort of understand and piece together since the organization was created, but more importantly, I think in the last couple of years as it's really started to grow, which is this core idea that educators have such a consistent pattern of being so hard on themselves that they don't recognize how amazing they are in the classroom. And it's sort of, I mean, in some ways it's, it's a little bit heartbreaking, right? Because educators are some of the most amazing people in this world who do some of the most amazing work. And when I get to go in and watch classrooms, I see these incredibly creative, hardworking, passionate, caring individuals who go home quite frequently and question whether or not they're good at what they do or they're doing it right or they're doing it the perfect way or they're following all the instructions. And when I look back at myself, I think I probably had some of these characteristics as well. Tony Rose, you just shared you did. I know you did. Um, I saw you when you did. And I've wondered sort of the why behind that. And I think a lot of it has to do with ineffective accountability systems. And at times a profession that is just systematically undervaluing its people. And at its core, when people feel undervalued, they go home and question whether or not they're doing the right thing. And that's just crappy, right? It's just a crappy reality that I hope we do our small part in changing. So the first thing I'd say to everyone 
is do not forget that this model is designed to be customizable. So the most consistent thing I hear, and I would I would hear, by the way, and, I, and I'm saying this to everyone, so I hope they hear this loud and clear. I would frequently and still frequently go into a modern classroom and see an implementer doing it beautifully. And afterwards, I get to chat with them and they say, yeah, I don't feel like I'm doing the full model. And then I'll ask why. And their explanations are just their versions of customization. And I'm like, you're totally doing the model. No part of you is not doing the model. But educators have such an intense understanding of what it means to do something right, that if they deviate or do something different, they feel like they're breaking the rules or not doing it right. And that's not every educator, obviously. We, we know tons of educators that don't think that way. Um, but ultimately, I think it's so, so important for folks to know out there, A, that your job is to do what's best for kids. And this model is not designed to be super restrictive. It's not designed to be a one-size-fits-all model, just like we don't teach for one-size-fits-all students. So if you're an educator out there wondering if you're doing the model, I think you should stop wondering whether you're doing the model and just try the application. If the model has deeply impacted your practice and you feel like you're blending instruction, meaning you're leveraging instructional videos and other resources to ensure that you're not delivering live lectures, and your kids are in a flexible-paced environment. It doesn't matter if they're self-paced for one week at a time or four weeks at a time or eight weeks at a time. If they're engaging in a self-paced environment, and by the way, it doesn't matter if they're doing it every single day because Tony Rose, the person on this particular podcast for certain units, would do self-paced one day and then the other day would do whole group reading. I remember it vividly. And she was an incredible modern classroom educator. And then if students are going from one lesson to the next because they actually understood the skill, on the previous lesson, then you're a modern classroom educator at its core. In fact, I had a conversation with someone just yesterday who said, I'm doing all the parts of the model, except I don't think I'm doing standards-based grading perfectly. And my response to her was, I don't think I've ever done standards-based grading perfectly. And I theoretically co-created the model. So I just want to stress to folks that if you are deeply influenced by our approach and feel like you're doing the three components in your own way, and as far as I'm concerned, you're implementing the model. And as far as I'm concerned, you are totally ready to be a distinguished modern classroom educator and complete the application. And ultimately, even if you don't get it right the first time, we're an organization that believes deeply in revisions. So you can submit that application and we'll give you feedback. And it's an awesome way to get feedback and think about the different ways that you can tighten up the model and then just reapply. So um, that's something I'm super, super passionate about. I've had a lot of talks with leaders about this as well how consistently some of the messaging that comes uh, through leadership and through different systems can make educators feel like they're not valued or what they're doing is not fantastic when it actually is. So if you're on the fence about wondering if you're an implementer or if you're on the fence about whether or not you should apply, I am, without even knowing you and without having seen you, I'm telling you that you probably are ready to apply and you're probably doing the model pretty well. I mean, so much of what you said, Kareem, resonated with me. Um, it's definitely that the accountability part, right? As a teacher, I was in the classroom for 10 years and I remember just being evaluated and not feeling like I was good enough. So no matter what I tried, it was something that I needed to focus on. It was like, oh, you're doing 
you're doing A, B, C, D well, but then like, look at all these other things that you're not doing well. So as a teacher, I was just kind of like, oh, I have to be perfect, right? To be able to move forward to like trying out different things. Like I have to perfect this. Um, And I think another thing that came to my mind too was the imposter syndrome, right? Like this is something that we want to dismantle as well as like, we are good enough. We are able to do this. We are doing what we're supposed to be doing. And it is enough to try to do something new, right? So like the distinguished modern classroom educator, it seems overwhelming, but ultimately, like you said, um, you are probably implementing it really well. Um, but because we are our harshest critics, um, and we have a lot of self doubt because of all of the experiences that we've had in education as teachers, we tend to just be like, you know what? I don't have time. I'm not ready. You know, coming up with all the excuses to why not, you know, why I wouldn't be able to, um, become a distinguished modern classroom educator. And so I really appreciate you naming Kareem the fact that like, we're enough. We're doing what we're supposed to be doing. Um, and it may not look like the colleague next door or like this other, you know, teacher. Um, but we're doing it our own way. And again, just a teacher autonomy of being able to embrace this model and make it work for our students is just so beautiful. Um, there's no right or wrong way. Again, I'm just going to keep saying that there's no right or wrong way to implement this model. Um, and so definitely take a look at the application. I think it'll be worth worth your while. And just like what Cream was saying, you know, it's the revision part is really important. So if you didn't get it right the first time, and this is something that we tell our students too, right? It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to not have it perfect the first time, but it's really important that we have the opportunity to make those revisions. Even as adults, it's uncomfortable, but it's also really good for us. Totally. And I, I'd add too for folks, just like don't think about, duration like how long you've been doing it for just think about whether you're doing it i think that people sometimes get a little bit obsessed over like i need to do it for six months before x happens i don't know why you need to um i think you should apply when you feel like you are a modern classroom educator meaning you wake up in the morning you go to school and you teach using our approach your version of our approach so i just want to stress that to folks too like I don't I don't care if you've been teaching for one year or 35 years. I don't care if you've been doing the model for one unit or 12 units. Um, ultimately, decide whether you have a passion for the model and you feel like it's working in your classroom and you're doing it right and take a look at the application and move forward. So I stress that as well. I sometimes will meet educators and they'll say, oh, I thought I needed to do this for X amount of time until, you know, I could apply. And I always say, like, I don't know. Where you got that from? I think you should totally apply as soon as you're implementing effectively. So um, that's key to how I think about it as well. So as soon as you feel that way, dive right in. And I wish I would have heard that, Kareem, like earlier on in my career, because I was definitely that teacher that's like, oh, I have to do this for a certain amount of time for me to do um, all of these things that people are telling me to do, right? Like trying out different roles. I'm like, no, I have to be in the classroom for 10 years before I could do this. And it's like, no, that's actually something that I created for myself and nobody else has created. Um, and so, yeah, definitely look at your, um, look at your skill set more so than the duration, right? Um, 
Okay. And so this is another thing that comes up all the time too, Kareem. So I've heard from our applicants how time consuming the whole process is. Um, so how would you break the process down so that it isn't so overwhelming? And also tell us more about the process of becoming a DMCE. So like the deadlines, uh, you know, when are people going to hear back? What does the process look like? Yeah. So, um, I'll talk deadlines first and then I'll go into how I would approach the application, but I might not be, um, thinking about it in the same way that someone else does. So take my opinion as actually just one person's opinion as opposed to someone else's. So, um, when I think about the application, first of all, on the deadline front, quite frequently through most of the year, you apply in one month and you'll hear back by the end of the following month. Right now, if you're listening to this podcast in November or December of 2021, there's a slightly different uh, application structure, meaning if you apply by the end of November, you hear by January 15th. And if you apply by the end of December, you hear by January 31st. And the reason why there's a unique application structure right now, and just so folks understand this timeline and why we're also sharing this quite aggressively at the moment, is it's both a great time to apply because it's the end of the first semester and it's a great time to build the community. But the second reason why is we always train our highest number of educators in the summer. And in this summer, we hope to train anywhere between 2,000 and 3,000 new educators through our virtual mentorship program. That requires us to have a, a certain number of mentors because we can only grow as big as our community of teacher leaders, which is one of my favorite things about the organization. So for folks to actually be able to become a DMC, then apply to be a mentor, then travel through our mentor academy and be ready to mentor by the Summer Institute, they need to become DMCEs essentially during this time frame is the ideal time to just provide people with enough kind of support and resources to get through the full process to mentoring. So if you're listening to this and one of the things you're super excited about down the road is to become a Modern Classrooms mentor... Well, the best time to mentor and, and actually get that experience is in the summer. And if you want to be a mentor in summer of 2022, the first step in that process is to become a distinguished modern classroom educator at this time. So you really want to focus on trying to apply by the end of 2021, by December 31st, because that's going to position you well um, to become a mentor. But I want to just caution for everyone that that process is also a process, meaning you have to apply to be a mentor and go through Mentor Academy. And at the end, if you make it through all the different steps and you're really ready for it, then you become a paid mentor and you become part of that community where you're actually training other educators across the country. So that's the reason why like, this is the great time to apply if you're implementing. Now, on the process front, you know, when you think about the Modern Classrooms Project Distinguished Modern Classroom Educator application, as I kind of alluded to earlier, all you're really doing is showing us artifacts of how you implement the model and telling the story. So if I were to approach this tomorrow, what I would do first is just find all the artifacts. So the first thing you have to do is provide two recent instructional videos. So I'd get those instructional video links, make sure they're public, drop them in. Next thing you got to do is describe how you're using pacing trackers and provide evidence of that. And then you got to do the same thing with mastery checks. And then share a little bit more about our, your LMS, ideally with like a picture. So, you know, on the artifact front, I just focus on collecting the artifacts in sort of one swoop. Maybe you're doing it during a week when you're actually in the classroom, however you want to think about it. I would just gather those things. 
You can also kind of knock out any of the sort of describing the ways that you do some of those elements as well. So when it says something like describe the techniques you use to keep students engaged in your videos, right? Now you're just articulating the steps you use to potentially embed questions in your videos or leverage guided notes, right? So some of those are just like technical elements of implementation. I would take care of that. So that's the artifacts and the technical articulation of what you do. And then I'd leave some time to complete the reflection. The reflection is really the narrative part. It's the coolest part to read. It's you telling the story of implementation. And in my opinion, if I was doing that, I'd like to do that in sort of one sitting. And that's just the way I work. So I would want to just talk about my implementation, reflect on it, and explain that narrative over the course of a couple hours. You know, take a Sunday morning and just get after it. So that's how I'd break it up. I'd think about the technical side, like get my evidence, make sure it's in place first. Um, And then once I have my evidence, tell the story. And all in all, if you have the resources because you're doing the model, I would imagine it would just take you a few hours to complete the full application if you chopped it up from gathering the materials and the evidence. And then the reflection part, you know, it's like two to three hours uh, twice in two separate sittings and you're good to go. So that's how I would think about it. Um, The application design is really simple, right? You go on our website, you go to credentials, you can either make a copy of a Google Doc or download a Microsoft Word document. You complete the actual document itself by filling everything in. You submit it and enter just like some basic information about you, who you are and why you're excited about becoming a potential DMC. And then that's it. Um, so hopefully that provides a little bit of clarity. It's really, really not designed to be super, super exhausting. And the folks that I've spoken to who are DMCEs will share that ultimately DMCEs have not found the application to be too strenuous because they do all the things that they're talking about. So kind of like you said, Tony Rose, it really is a time for reflection and being able to share all the amazing things that you're doing in your classroom. It's also a really cool way to think about telling your story, um, which I think is really cool. I don't think educators get enough opportunity to tell their story. And I promise you, these are read really, really closely. Um, and it's really, really exciting. And there's a process in which we read these and also isolate all these fantastic things that we're noticing to highlight and potentially share with our larger community. And I feel like with how you just described it, it, it makes it a little bit easier, right? Or a little bit more like, oh, attainable. Like I could do that because I already have the artifacts and now I'm just really talking about those artifacts and just giving more context and more reflection, which is great. So uh, what exactly does it mean to be a distinguished modern classroom educator? Um, and what are the benefits? Uh, and I know that you said earlier that you actually get um, a chance to revise. So does that mean that people, applicants don't get rejected to become a DMC? Can you talk a little bit more about that, Kareem? Yeah, sure. So I mean, there's some just like very legitimate, just like direct benefits that you immediately receive. First, I mean, you get graduate credits, which is cool. It's one graduate credit from CSU Pueblo, which is a great thing. And you also get a digital badge and a micro-credential. So most DMCEs that I know when I get an email or they share out their ideas, like you can see their little digital badge at the bottom, which is legitimate. Um, You get some EdTech subscriptions, which most folks at this point still have, but you get premium lifetime subscriptions to Screencast-O-Matic and EdPuzzle. I always talk about the awesome blue backpack because I think it's sweet and I've seen many teachers wear it and I think it's awesome. Um, I'll also add, in addition to that, you know, we share this with your leaders. I mean, on the actual application, you get to tell us who the leaders are in your school building, in your district. And I cannot tell you how consistently leaders get so, so excited to see this. I know that educators often feel like they're operating in silos and 
maybe not quite that often getting to share what they do with their leaders. But when they get to see coming from our organization that you've become a distinguished modern classroom educator, it's really, really powerful. Um, It's a really special thing. And I think leaders really appreciate it. So that's a big piece as well. Finally, there's a community. And I mean, I'm talking to the facilitator of the community, right? Tony Rose is the leader of this podcast, but also hosts and will continue to host different ways for DMCs to engage with each other. So part of the goal of building the DMC community is to create connectivity so that DMCs can actually talk to each other, can brainstorm, can be a part of a community where they feel like they're growing from each other. Because ultimately, there's a true benefit to being a leader a teacher leader in that you can share your experience with others who want to learn more about what you do. But one of the other elements of being a teacher leader is you get to connect with other teacher leaders who are implementing and in really powerful ways and in their own way. And you get to learn from each other. And that's super special as well. Um, So those are some of the immediate benefits. And then finally, you know, there's the expert mentor experience. So when DMCEs become DMCEs, they become eligible to apply to be a mentor. That's a closed application that only can be accessed by folks who are, in fact, distinguished modern classroom educators. And simply put, mentors make $40 to $50 an hour mentoring teachers from across the country and the world. So we have mentors who are making over $10,000 in additional income on top of their teaching salary to train and support other educators across the country and the world. And that's so important to me. I can't stress this enough. It is a huge deal to me that we pay teachers to be leaders. Um, We compensate them. And that so consistently our mentors share that it's an incredibly exciting and enjoyable opportunity to share their expertise with folks in different communities and communities that they've never been to or maybe don't know much about. Um, And I know, you know, Tony Rose, you can probably share just as much about this, if not more than I can, about what it's like to really be able to mentor and support other educators and how diverse the communities that you've supported are, if you want to share a little bit more about that. Yeah, Kareem, you stole my line. I was going to be like, and the benefit is you get to work with me. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. That is a huge benefit, everyone. I can promise you that. (laughs) But you took it away from me, Kareem. You took it away. Sorry. (laughs) Um, No, it's all good. Yeah, I was just, you know, I was just going to say it's being a mentor has been such a blast for me and just seeing the steps of becoming a mentor as well. Um, But we do have this community. And I know a lot of our listeners are in the Facebook group, so they know how close knit that community is and how supportive that community is, which is really great. Um, (laughs) When you mentioned the blue book bag, uh, Kareem, that's actually my favorite thing about being a DMT (laughs) was because of that blue backpack, because I would use that as my travel bag. And so it would just start a conversation with complete strangers who are also educators who want to know more information about modern classroom. And because I was so passionate about it and I wholeheartedly believe in the mission of um, modern classroom, it was really great to have those conversations with teachers, with complete strangers about what a distinguished modern classroom educator was and what that entails. Um, and so, you know, when you become a mentor because you're in DMCE, you do have this, this community. Our mentors are so amazing. Um, I'm getting to know every single one of them and it's been just a blast seeing the personality. And again, like I stated before, the energy is just so positive. Um, And this is probably the first time that I've been in a space where 
all the educators are pumped and excited to be a part of something, right? And because they're so pumped and they're so energized, um, they're able to share their experiences. They want to share their experiences and they will just talk your ear off about modern classroom and then really finding ways on how we can continue learning from each other and growing as a company as well. And so our mentors are just rock stars. So they're like full-time educators and they have this side hustle. And I've heard multiple times already of like our mentors being like, being a mentor is what's bringing me joy right now, especially when COVID happened last year. I know for me, it was definitely being a mentor because I was able to have conversations with so many different types of educators. Um, and when Kareem was saying, you know, um, that there's a principal in Zambia that we're going to have, um, conversations with and just how they're implementing modern classroom. Um, today I was able to speak with a teacher in Israel, right? Um, and in the podcast, I'm able to have conversations with teachers and implementers who are in other parts of the world. So I know like, you know, we have DMCEs and implementers in Belgium. We have uh, mentees in Sweden. Like it's just so great to get to know education um, outside of the U.S. and really just get to know other people, um, other teachers as human beings. So I know I loved, love, 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 love being a mentor last year during COVID because everything was just so wild and ridiculous and bizarre, right? And the only consistent thing for me was talking to my mentees and helping alleviate some of that stress. And it was so motivating for me. And it was so, um, it just brought me so much joy. Um, and so, you know, when you become a DMCE, when you apply to become a DMCE, you have this opportunity to join this really close-knit community who are just so amazing. Um, the teachers and mentors are just, I can't, talk enough about how amazing our mentors are. And I'm sure you're aware too, Kareem. Like, it's just so great. It's so great. Oh, I mean, they're the leaders of our organization. Our DMCs and our mentors are the organization. Uh, they're just really, if it, if it wasn't for them, it would just be me um, sharing my ideas and Rob putting out, you know, really strong course content. And trust me, that's a substantially less inspiring organization than what we have today. So our mentors and our DMCs are the heartbeat of how this beast moves. I get asked quite frequently, um, folks who invest in our work, um, fund our work, allow us to kind of have uh, the resources to grow. Like what is the special sauce of the modern classrooms project? And I tell everyone our organization, our entire movement rests on incredible educators wanting to support each other and push it forward. I think that's what makes us much different than almost every other organization out there trying to impact education. It's what makes us special. And it's why I care so deeply about ensuring that educators become DMCs and become mentors because it's everything we do at its core. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I believe that when we empower teachers, great things happen. Um, and when teachers feel supported and valued, great things happen. And I think, again, you know, if you <laughs> come, you get to work with me, which is also really great, right? Like we're doing some really cool community building stuff and opportunities for you to continue networking and working with, you know, just teachers all over the world. So I really appreciate 
everything that's Modern Classroom's done for me. And I'm really happy to be a part of Modern Classroom full time. Um, I miss my kids, but at the same time, I know my impact is bigger because I get to work with teachers all over the world. Um, and so with that, Kareem, is there anything else that we need to know? You know, I don't think so. Aside from the fact that I know I haven't been on the podcast as frequently as I, I used to be, because it's honestly in the hands of a much better host and a much better community builder than I ever was and will ever be. What I just want to tell everyone is, you know, what I have been doing is spending a ton of time working with schools and communities. And I just want to share again how incredibly thankful I am for the work that folks are doing out there. It is consistently been clear to me that this is probably the hardest year of teaching yet, substantially harder than actually last year was for most folks. Obviously, everyone's circumstances are different, and certainly educators seem incredibly excited to be in classrooms with kids. But the stressors out there, the staffing shortages, all the unique circumstances out there are just incredibly difficult. So I'm not here to like say a bunch of kind of fluffy stuff to make people try to feel better when the challenges are just frankly bigger than anything that any words can can indicate. But what I just want to say to everyone is that we're seeing the incredible work that you're doing. The fact that you're innovating in this time speaks to how much you care uh, about students and making an impact. And we are just deeply appreciative of what you all are doing. Um, educators continue to be the most extraordinary people that I get to interact with on a daily basis. And I'm incredibly proud of the work that folks are doing out there. And I'm just thankful um, and appreciate how hard you all are working to support kids needs. So um, thank you for letting me jump on Tony Rose. It's a blast to be on here again. Um, and obviously please everyone, like if you're out there implementing, please don't be hard on yourselves, trust yourselves, apply to be a DMCE. And if you can do it by the end of this year, 2021, and you want to be a mentor, that's the pathway there. Um, again, not everyone becomes a mentor, but if that's something that you're interested in, that's the first step. So thank you all for all the hard work. I'll be back on here at some point in the next few months. And shout out to Tony Rose, who's been leading this podcast and doing a fabulous job. Yeah. And again, shout out to all the teachers. Thank you so much for everything that you're doing. We see all of it. And thank you, Kareem, for believing in me. I really appreciate it. Of course. We will see all of you next week. And thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for listening. You can find links to topics and tools we discussed in our show notes for this episode. And remember, you can learn more about our work at www.modernclassrooms.org and you can learn the essentials of our model through our free course at learn.modernclassrooms.org. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Modern Class Proj, that's P-R-O-J. We are so appreciative of all you do for students in schools. Have a great week and we'll be back next Sunday with another episode of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast.